0: It's really funny. I didn't even mean to have you guys stop. But that is kind of a tactic that like kindergarten teachers use uh, when they're trying to get the room quiet. They just stop talking and see how many people follow suit until there's the one person that's still talking and it's really awkward. I didn't mean to do that this morning, I promise. Um, If you want to, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. Here this morning, and while you're doing that, I'm going to try to figure out how to work my iPad, which probably would have been helpful to do beforehand. Um, No, but seriously, while we're while you're doing that, uh, if you would, if you have a bulletin, you should have received one as you were walking in. Uh, If you want to open that up, and don't want to where mine is, but there's a connect card on there, and if you wanted to, if you if you would like to, we'd love for you to, go ahead and fill that out if, if you have a desire to know more about Veritas, if you'd like to know more about Citigroup or membership, um, how you can get involved. We have three separate teams right now that we're really uh, looking for volunteers for, family ministry, hospitality, and, and right now our audio and visual team. So if the, the, any of those areas you're wanting to serve, go ahead and, and fill that out. Uh, but most importantly, uh, if you have a prayer request, please take time, fill that out, and turn that in. You can turn it in here at the, at the bucket here while we take the Lord's Supper, or we have a black box out on the hospitality table, and on your way out, you can just drop it in there. Uh, we, we would love to pray for you. If there's something that's going on in your life that needs prayer, um, as a leadership team, we would love to spend time going over that. So if you would, go ahead and stand with me as we read out of Ephesians 6. <clears throat> and I have to apologize in advance. If, if you follow me on Twitter or on Facebook or anything, you may have seen that I posted something at around 4 o'clock saying... Something to the effect, as a new preacher, is it good to change your sermon at 4 p.m. on a Saturday evening? Um, so anything that you do see in your bulletin is, is not going to be the same. I apologize, but I figured I could follow suit since Garrison did it last week. <clears throat> and that's not a slight to him. I love him. Um, but yes, so it's going to be a little bit different but as we read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first, first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we stop today, the Lord's day, and take time to come together as a church body and worship you in song and in reading of Scripture and the hearing of the word, and the Lord's supper and, and fellowship, Lord, I ask that you would be at work in our lives sanctifying us. Lord, we need days like today. We need it because we live in a sinful and broken world, and Father, it's so evident around us that we live in a sin-infested city, in a sin-infested world that we need these days to be reminded of your grace, reminded of your goodness, and reminded that you are Lord over all. And so that nothing that is happening now is out of your control. So Lord, as we take time to talk about children and parents, pray that you would use me to be able to speak truth into our congregation's life. Father, I just want to be a vessel used by you this morning. I don't know if I've ever prepared for anything where I have repented more while I was going through it, and Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that you would use some bit of this to, to bring all of us to repentance. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work within our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, if you don't have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 6 on page 569 in the little white Bible here on the end of your bench. I wanted to remember that this time, Brian. So, being a parent is one of the greatest joys of my entire life. And I know for many of you in the audience today, you would probably say the same thing. For those of us who have children, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. You see, when you get married, you get to choose your spouse. There are things about your spouse that attracted you to them, whether they were funny or had nice eyes, a beautiful smile. They were kind, compassionate. Maybe, you know, if you were a high school boy, they were hot. That was my case. Sorry. Um, That's the only time you will hear me call my wife hot, by the way, in public. (laughs) Um, But whatever the case may be, there are things about your spouse that drew you to them. And then, of course, you got to go out on dates and experience life with them. And for Sarah and I, we started dating when we were in high school. And so we had a lot of life underneath us by the time we got married. Six and a half years, in fact, which seemed like forever. And then children. Children are totally different. Unlike marriage, we have no choice and no control on who is born into our family. We don't get to choose their personalities. We don't get to choose the characteristics. We don't get to choose whether or not they're going to like sports or whether they're going to like to read or whether they're not going to like a certain type of food. We don't get to choose whether they like red, white, pink, or blue. We simply don't get to choose our children. And sometimes, a lot of times, that creates conflict. If there's conflict and strife between you and your spouse, the person whom you chose to do life with, wouldn't there be that much more conflict between you and a person whom you didn't get to choose? Thankfully, God designed roles of parents and children in such a way that we can train and instruct our children to grow in Christ likeness. The main goal of our parenting should not to be <clears throat> excuse me should not to be liked by our kids even though that would be really really nice. The main goal of our parenting should be to show <laughs> to show our kids Jesus Christ and the gospel and pray that God uses that instruction to bring them to salvation. And we have not been left without any instruction from God's word and how these roles play out in our to excuse me how these roles play out in our day-to-day lives there are many passages in scripture which point us to the relationship between parents and children and how we as parents are to raise godly young men and young women and this is going to be the focus of our time together this morning Our big idea this morning is not in your bulletins, but it's this. And if you're ready, parents are to use your God-given authority to raise Christ-honoring children. I'll say that again. Parents are to use your God-given authority to raise Christ-honoring children. And we will do this by walking through these two roles shown here in this passage We will walk through the first point, God's authority made visible in parents, and the second point, God's promise obtained through obedient children. And then once we go through these two points, I would like to spend just a brief moment with a special note to dads. For our first point, God's authority made visible in parents, you may be wondering where I'm coming up with the word authority. If you look in your Bibles, it doesn't say anything about authority at all in verses one through four. And that other than knowing that the roles of the parent and child is that of the parent as the authority figure, and the child is the one being under authority, where in this passage do I come up with the parents as the role as authoritarian? Well, this section of Scripture falls in between two different relationships. It comes in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Paul writes down, and Garrison preached for us last week, about the rules of submission and authority within the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. And then the section right after ours, in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Paul writes about the role of the slave or the bondservant and its master and the submission authority relationship there. So clearly Paul is writing about submission between a parent and a child, authority and submission. And within this relationship, the parents are given two actions to follow. A negative action, do not provoke your children to anger. And the positive action being, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if we focus on the negative action first, what does it mean to not provoke your children to anger? Other translations say, use the word exasperate. You may remember that from back in the day, King Jimmy, should not exasperate your children. Other transla- or basically, what this means is that as parents, we need to be careful that we are not, be- not being domineering, that we are not putting undue burden on our kids, and that we are not putting too high of expectations on them, causing them to be driven to sin. In Colossians 3.21, Paul writes very similarly, fathers, do not provoke your children <clears throat> Lest they become discouraged, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So in both of these letters, he is writing to parents not to push their children to the point where it causes them to sin. And this is especially important if we take into account Galatians six or excuse me, Ephesians six one through three. The reason being is that if your child is being obedient and honoring you as a parent. That means that they take your instruction very seriously. Possibly even becoming vulnerable to to a parent who might take advantage of their position of authority in their kid's life. And this is so hard. The line is so fine between when we discipline our kids in love and when we discipline our kids in anger and with selfish motives. This is also not to say that your children won't be angry after discipline, even though you may have disciplined them with a loving heart. You may have walked them through questions that lead them to the sinfulness of their heart. And after the discipline, you may have prayed with them and hugged them and kissed them and told them that you love them. But there still may be anger and your child's heart. That was me. I was that kid who was angry after my dad hugged me and told me he loved me. And you, as a parent, are not gonna discipline perfectly every time. There's no way you can pers- perfectly and lovingly discipline your child every single time. We have to remember our kids are sinners that they are fallen people born into the world with sin, just like you and me. They need someone to instruct them and correct them back to Jesus and back to God. And this is the role of the parent in the child's life. Paul then gives us the positive action for which we are to follow as Christian parents, raising our children. He tells them to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord And this is where we learn the tools that God has given us as parents to raise our children to be God-honoring, obedient children. We are to provide discipline and instruction, which is of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I'd like to stop and take some time here to talk about two different types of discipline, corrective discipline and formative discipline. These could be inserted in the passage, and it could read as follows. Bring them up with corrective and formative discipline in the Lord. So let's first look at corrective discipline and, what it, and how that is used to raise up our children in the Lord. Vodi Bakum writes in his book, Family Shepherds, which I would highly recommend anything that Votie writes on the family, that we are responsible for restraining sin in our children. We are responsible for restraining sin in our children. He further claims that the Lord doesn't expect us to keep our kids from sinning, but only that we restrain the sin. And how do we do that? How do we restrain sin within our children? by corrective discipline. Corrective discipline mainly takes two forms, rebuke and corporal punishment, or, or spanking, as he uses. And using these tools, we have to assume certain things about them as they are used. The first assumption that we can make is a biblical authority. This should go without saying, especially considering the passage that we just read but in our day and age where cultural trends hold more authority than God's word, we can't be explicit enough where this authority comes from. Like we said earlier, this authority is a God given authority laid out in his word. The second assumption of corrective discipline is that there are absolutes. And not just any absolutes. These are Absolutes that are established by God. Bakum continues in his book It is not enough to believe that absolutes exist. We must also believe that God is the source of these ultimate truths. Truth exists where God exists. How do we know what God's truths are? By looking at Holy Scripture. I hope that you guys are noticing a pattern here. As parents, we need to make sure that we are grounded in the truth of God's Word, which means that each of us individually and as a family are memorizing or are reading the Bible and meditating and memorizing God's Word so that we are ready with biblical truths on our lips what can be known about God has been made known to us through his word. And this includes his instructions on how, the, how best the family functions and what each of our roles are. The last assumption for corrective discipline is God's faithfulness. At some point, we have to take God at his word and believe in the promise that he has given If you are a parent, you know how frustrating correction can be sometimes. Whether that be in rebuke or in spankings, wouldn't it be much easier to correct behavior only? Doesn't it get old correcting our children multiple times a day for the same exact thing? It's in those times as Christian parents, we have to hold tight to the faithfulness And promises of God. And now that we have a a basis for this corrective discipline, how do we apply it? Again, we've mentioned it already. It's through rebuke or reprove and spanking. The way that, that he defines rebuke and reprove is as follows it means to correct, convince, or convict. And this is what we need to catch here. And would not only imply exposure to one's sin, but also to call a person to repentance. In other words, we stop our children in their tracks, point out their sin and its consequences, and call them to repent. Man. Man. So how do we rebuke our children in a godly way? We can do it lovingly. We can do it lovingly. Our rebukes must always point our children to God. To rebuke our children in a loving way, we need to remember to point our children to God by doing it sparingly. We should spend the majority of our time as parents on instructing and training our children and not rebuking them. Now, that doesn't mean that we let it go when things come up, that we don't step in and rebuke or spank, but we should spend the majority of our time teaching our kids God's truth. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. And lastly, by rebuking the sin and not our children. As we point our children towards God, we should show them how their sin is displeasing towards God and not how they are displeasing towards us. I feel like that's very important that we show them how their sin is displeasing towards God and not how they are displeasing towards us. And again, that comes back to getting at more than just behavioral change. So we rebuke our children. And secondly, we spank our children. Thanks, Garrison, for letting me get involved in this one. I'm really happy that I get to talk about this topic. And I know that for some of you that this might be a controversial issue. But I assure you, when using spanking excuse me, that when using spanking as it's called for in the Bible, it is not controversial at all. I'll say it again because I believe that. I know that for some this might be a controversial issue, but I assure you when using spanking as it's called for in the Bible, it is not controversial at all. As parents, this is the last line of correction that we use when our children are rebelling against our God given parental authority. This authority is by no means a get out of free jail card to physically abuse our children. That is sinful and detestable and has no place within the family. Paul Wegner writes, while the by, by the biblical text encourages the use of corporal punishment in the training of children, in the spirit of the wisdom of Proverbs, it is prudent that the parent administer this discipline very carefully. So we dole out the corporal punishment. As we dole out the corporal punishment, we need to do so with a submissive heart to God. The world may see spanking as harsh and unloving, but Scripture would say otherwise. Proverbs 13.24 gets quoted a lot when making the case for spanking, but normally we just get the first half. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but really it is the second half of that verse that shows us just how loving this form of discipline is. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is a good example of how our discipline should never be severe and always be done in love. The writer of Hebrews also addresses the issue of discipline. In chapter 12 and verses 5 and 6, he quotes Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12, which says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one who, he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And if you scroll down to verses 9 and 11, he continues, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seems best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." For the moment that all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, and later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We can take two things from this passage. One, that the purpose of our discipline is that our children become more and more like Jesus. And secondly, that we have to have a big picture mindset when it comes to disciplining and training our children, we cannot hope that our children will receive our discipline and instruction once and have it down pat. I mean, it took me like a hundred times to learn the system that I work for at my job. <clears throat> so, how could we ins- expect our children to have it down like that? Any of us would know that is something that we deal with every single day, multiple times a day. But if we have the big picture mentality when it comes to our children and discipline, it will help direct us and keep our focus on Christ in those days and those day-to-day moments. So that's corrective discipline. Now we move on and look at the second word that Paul uses. What is instruction or what is formative discipline? Formative discipline is simply just discipleship. It is training our children in the ways of God. It is training them to hate sin and love God. It is us showing our kids the glory and majesty of Christ and the ugliness and tragedy of sin. As we've said and affirmed and believe with our whole hearts, our children are sinners. They need someone to come alongside them to train and instruct them how to follow the commandments of God. This is not something that they will do naturally. In fact, it's not something any of us would do naturally. Naturally, we want to follow what we think is right and good for us. We want to march to the beat of our own drum. We want to sit on the throne of our own kingdom. It is only after someone shows and teaches us the things of God that we know how to follow in his ways. And ultimately, it is an act of God that helps us to obey him. Brian mentioned something to me on Tuesday morning as we were meeting in our cohort. And his question may not be exactly this, but have you ever thought about how our children, are immortal souls, and that they will one day stand in judgment before God. It's not something that I had ever really lingered long on, but the more and more I thought about it, the more and more it struck me. John Wesley, in his sermon on family religion, describes a child as immortal spirits whom God hath for a time entrusted to your care, that you may train them up in all holiness and fit them for the enjoyment of God in eternity. This is a glorious and important trust, seeing one soul is, more va- is of more value than all the world decide. Every child, therefore, you are to watch over with the utmost care, that when you are called to give an account of each to the Father of spirits, you may give your account with joy and with not with grief. In other words, parents, we are given just a few short years to train and instruct our kids with eternity in mind. And this task that has been given to us is one if not the most important task that we have ever been given. Do you feel the weight of that? An immortal soul sleeps in the bunk bed next to my room two of them do actually do you feel the weight of that you should the years we have to spend with our kids are short in the span of life here on earth but they can have a major impact on their life for all of eternity The biggest need that we see needing to be met through formative discipline is the salvation and regeneration of our kids. What are some practical ways that we can do this? Well, one way is continually showing our children their need to repent and depend upon God. In formative discipline, we show our children their sin, teach them why they sin what the consequences are for that sin and how there is only one hope for them and how that's found in Jesus Christ. We essentially are preaching the gospel to our children daily. How do we go about instilling this di- type of discipline within the heart of our, ch- this, of our children? First, we give them scripture how, how are our kids to obey us, and more importantly, God, if they are not being fed His Word? One of the most neglectful things that we could do as a parent would be to not instruct our children from the Word of God and only give them worldly one-liners or shallow self-help, state, self-help statements. Secondly, we set an example of what a godly life looks like. In his book, A Family Well-Ordered, Puritan Cotton Mathers writes, Your example may do much toward the salvation of your children. Your works will more work upon your children than your words. Your patterns will do more than your precepts. Your copies more than your counsels. Parents, the way we live our lives matters. Our kids see and perceive how we act, the tone that we use with one another and with them, the things in our lives that are most important to us. They will see that, and as they get older, know that it is usually not what comes out of our mouths that shows who we really are, but how we act, especially in the close confines of a home. And this is true of my life as well. I wish my dad was here this morning because I've told him this in private, but I would love to tell him in front of all of you guys, so I'll just tell it anyway. My dad, Mike Krumloff, was and is a wonderful example of what it meant and means to be a godly father, displaying that example through actions and not just words. I can remember waking up every morning from school and walking down, and my dad would either be on the couch or in his chair reading his well-worn Bible or on his knees praying, probably praying for me. He was and is still a deacon at his church. And to me, my dad is the clear example of what a deacon looks like. He serves people and visits people. I can remember when my family moved from North Dayton to Kettering. My dad would drive back to our old house to pick up a kid who we had been bringing to youth group with us. It was 25 minutes out of his way to pick this guy up. And so it was a 50-minute round trip for my dad to pick this kid up. And he did it. He did it because he loved the Lord. He wanted to serve God. I remember we lived across the street from two older ladies, and when we moved, my dad still went back and cut their lawn until they both died. He would sit and talk with them. He would take bike rides over to their house to make sure that they were doing all right. He set a wonderful example for me with his life. And it's something that I will never forget and something that I hope that I can display for my own children. And lastly, we need to do maybe the simplest but most profound thing of all. We need to pray for our kids. See, that's simple, right? But if we don't do anything else that we just talked about, we need to pray How could I say that I love my kids as a Christian father and not bring them before the Lord in prayer? And this could be the starting point of how to go about doing all these other actions that we've talked about this morning. We can pray for our children and at the same time plead with God to show us how to discipline and instruct our children in His ways. May the Lord answer our prayers. But as you may have noticed... I just skimmed over an entire, entire portion of the section. Paul isn't just addressing fathers and parents here. He's also addressing children as well. And here we see how God's promise is obtained by obedient children. I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this, these three verses because Garrison did such a wonderful job of unpacking this in his sermon on the fifth commandment. But I did want to talk just briefly on verse 1 and how Paul ties that in with the promise of the fifth commandment. And in verse 1, Paul instructs children to be obedient to both of their parents and to come submissively under their God-ordained authority. But his command, as you'll see, is grounded in this statement for this is right why is it right that children should obey their parents well because of the commandment that Paul quotes from Exodus 20:12 and this commandment god commands children to honor both of their parents and in doing so they will gain the promise of it going well and long life in the land it's easy to understand what this means when we were talking about the Israelites at Sinai. The promise is that if the Jewish children would obey and honor their parents, it would gain the inheritance of the promised land. But what did that mean for the Ephesian church and for our children today? It is clear that if we look back, to Ephesians 2, verse 11 and following, that the letter was written to both Jews and Gentiles. So the promise that Paul is referring to here can't be the same promise that was given oh so many years ago. In fact, some commentators would argue that the promise that Paul repeated, or that was repeated by Paul, was referring to eternal life that we have when we are found in Christ. And that the land that God is referring to here is the kingdom of God, which would be everywhere since Jesus is the Lord of all. Now, as you can imagine, children don't always obey perfectly, right? And they struggle following after this command. But trust me, they are not alone. As a parent, I am always quick to point out when my kids disobey God's commands. But I'm very slow when it comes to addressing my own disobedience towards God. Neither of us obey God's commands every time, all the time. And in fact, we can't. There is only one who has obeyed all of God's commands There is only one whose obedience can obtain the full promise of God. Jesus was obedient to the Father and fully submitted himself to the will of God. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is through this obedient Son that we have obtained the promise of the Father, a new identity as adopted sons and daughters. An eternal life with him forever. Let's not miss this. It is because Jesus is our Savior that as parents we can have confidence in following his example and submitting our will to the Father so that we display the God-given authority to our children in hopes to have them follow our example In obedience, so that they may obtain the promise given to us in Christ. Amen. And just briefly, I wanted to step aside and just have a special note for fathers, because as you'll see here, Paul doesn't specifically address parents, he addresses fathers. And we have a lot of dads in this room, soon to be dads, dads who want to be dads people who haven't even thought about kids but want them in the future. We have all walks of life here. But I want you to know that God has placed a very high calling on you dads, a very high calling. You as fathers are the head of your household and you are to lead your children and your family in the ways of God and if you assume from Paul's writing that that this father is bringing up in dis- discipline and instruction of the Lord my assumption is that he's thinking that you are already following God's ways that you are growing and disciplining yourself that you are in God's word that you are a part of a local church that you are meditating on God's word and growing in the things of God. Do not take this lightly. It is your God-given authority here. And it's tough because we're sinners. We see the sin in ourself. We see all the things that we carry with us. Wonder how we could lead our our kids and our families in such a way that we'd be pleasing to God, dads. It's we're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to discipline well. We're always not going to lead our families well in family worship. I struggle all the time. Know that I say this as a dad. Who struggles and is a sinner and gets it wrong often. But I want you to know that if you are in Christ, he has taken that baggage of sin that you carry. He has taken what you perceive as holding you back and leading your family. He has taken that and put it on the cross. So now we can lead our families knowing that we are redeemed, that we are made righteous by the blood of Christ. And I know that we talk about that often, but it's because we believe it, and it's true. We are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. So as we lead our families, do so knowing that God has given you this role for a reason, but at the same time, he hasn't just left you out there on your own. He has more than equipped you. He has more than equipped you. I'm going to pray, and then Garrison's going to come up and lead us in the Lord's Supper. I want you to know how convicted my heart was in the process of preaching this sermon and how I had to repent often. Oh God, parenting is hard. And my daughters are no older than five. I know I I don't even know what hard is yet. But Lord, you are a gracious God. you have not left us to our own devices. You've given us Jesus. You've given us your Holy Spirit to seal us as your children. You have given us your word so we don't just have to languish not knowing what you want us to do. We can look to the Bible and see what you've commanded us as fathers, as parents, as children to do. Lord, I ask as we walk away this morning that we would examine our lives, that we would look at areas where we may or may not be falling short. Pray that you would help us to confess the times that we have sinned against our kids. Show them what true repentance is. How are they to know what repentance is if they are not shown repentance? I want to pray for our kids. We have so many kids. So many immortal souls in this building today. Today. And you've entrusted a lot to us. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the righteousness of Jesus, that we would step up and take over our role. And that we would point our kids to you. It's in Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen.